I have these uh, refrigerator direct decorations. I don't know how many of you put missionaries on your refrigerator as a form of decoration. I have these. These are the latest refrigerator decorations of the Roths. This is a beautiful picture of their family. Uh, the Larsons just got back from being over in Denmark and helping Stephanie out. And she writes a note to us, Stephanie does, your encouragement, your prayers, your joys, your welcome, your continued love, your support of our family. It's just unparalleled. What a gift you are to us. Our family so enjoyed our time among you this summer. We only wish we could have had more. Thank you for loving us, for refreshing us, and for your steadfastness and continuing uh, to help us in the work that God has called us to. And let me encourage you to pick one of these up. They'll be at the back. Uh, they'll be at the back desk table, and I'm going to give them to Pam to put back there, okay? Because I'll forget. But Pam remembers everything. So if you have a Bible, open it up to uh, Job 30, 41. I appreciate so much that song that they just sang. That was kind of our theme song when we were down in Haiti. There are people that do not know Jesus. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? It ought to just burden us in such a way that there are people that don't know the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we look into this passage, uh, help us to understand it. But help us to realize that this week There will be somebody at Walmart next to us that doesn't know you. There will be somebody at work that doesn't know you. Perhaps somebody in our family that doesn't know you. And you've given us the opportunity to be light. We're not to be offensive. We're not to be... Uh, hurtful. We're not to be rude unnecessarily. But Lord, we are to be a witness to that one called Jesus who literally did everything he could for us in dying on that cross on our behalf. He came to earth to die for rebels He died for this rebel. And I am forever grateful that you took on my sin and died in my place so that I could be forgiven. It's incredible. It's beyond my imagination that you would lay down your life for me. 
And you are calling out from this world a people. A people that call you by your name that you call by your name. And you are saving them, each one, by the power of that cross. And may that compel us to be a clearer witness for you. Amen. I'm just going to admit to you right now that I am extremely limited on this passage. Job chapter 41 is uh, one of those passages that is just flat out uh, extremely difficult to understand. I'm going to give you some observations. I'm fairly confident in uh, those observations, but I'm also confident in some different uh, commentators that I've read this week that have been very helpful. A gentleman by the name of Dwayne Garrett uh, teaches in, uh, at Southwestern in the Dallas area, and he's a very gifted uh, Hebrew and Old Testament scholar, and, uh, has, uh, and uh, he has a number of things that I'm going to be sharing today that will be a part of helping you understand this passage. We're talking about a second creature here. His name is Leviathan. Uh, We don't have many Leviathans living around us right now. And so as we hear this name, we're not even for sure what it is. You say the word ostrich, you got a clue. Uh, You say the word deer, you have a clue. You say the word donkey or ox, you have a clue. Say the word lion or tiger, you have a clue. Horse, you have a clue. But when it comes to behemoth and leviathan, they are much more out there and more difficult to grasp exactly what they are. Uh, Behemoth was the subject of chapter 40, and we recognized when we were looking at behemoth that his name simply means the beast, the beast behemoth. In fact, it's actually just the word beast in plural. And that it's actually the only time the word beast is translated behemoth is in Job 40. Every other place it's just called beast. And, uh, and, and that's, very, uh, that's, that's a little bit strange. And now the word Leviathan does appear a half a dozen other times in the uh, scriptures. And we're going to look at some of those Uh, today as we look at it. But uh, the first thing we want to realize is that this behemoth and Leviathan are these two great beasts that are being talked about in Job, and and they are both uh, somewhat uh, difficult to understand and somewhat of an enigma as we uh, look into them. There's some uh, kind of some beginning initial observations I'd like to have you make about this chapter. I thought about just sitting up here and reading it clear through uh, he, uh, he, he has a number of different things that he says, that God says about this Leviathan. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Can you snare his tongue with a line? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? So here's some of the initial observations. And that is we have a second animal 
that we do not readily identify in our culture today that we don't, we don't have an animal by that name, but this animal is given a name here and he is described in, in pretty complete detail in this chapter, this, this animal, Leviathan, uh, and, uh, and yet even after reading the chapter, we're still somewhat a little bit confused exactly as to who he is. Now, the second thing that happens is uh, there's a lengthy description that doesn't seem to explain much. Now, what do I mean by that? God is talking. He's telling this to Job, and he's making some grand point to Job, and, he, and he's really arguing with Job. And yet, as you read through the whole chapter and you get down to the end of it, you're like, so what's he saying? What's the point? Every now and then, I'll uh, screenshot a text message that I have with uh, someone, and, and I'll say, I'll send it to Charlene, and I'll say, uh, what did they mean? And I'll, I'll send it to her, and I'll, I'll show what they said, and I'll show what I said, and then, uh, and then what they said, and then what I said, and I'll send it to Charlene, and I'll say, what does this mean? And Charlene will be so helpful. She'll text me back. Are you the blue ones or the white ones? <laughs> she doesn't even know who's talking for sure. We'll have a little bit of laugh over that, and then we'll still try to decode it. And that's a little bit of what's happening in this chapter. It's not only uh, is there's this lengthy explanation, but we're, we're not even quite exactly sure uh, uh, who's saying what as we go through this whole chapter. Yes, this is a speech from God. And, and, and yes, he's, he's driving at a point, And it appears as though he makes the point because you get to chapter 42 and Job goes, man, you're right. And, and I really do want to agree with Job that God is right, but I don't understand what exactly God is saying. And then I have to ask myself a question. Why didn't God say this clearer? Wouldn't that have been a lot easier if God would have just been more clear? But, but, but he's not as clear as I wished he was. Do you ever have someone that does that to you? They, 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 they talk to you in, in, a, in, 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 in a language that you understand, but you don't quite get the point of what they're making, and you think to yourself, can't they be more clear? And that's a little bit of my difficulty with this. We have this lengthy description, but it doesn't seem to explain much. Then, on top of that, there's this subtle transition from questioning Job to questioning everybody. Now, now just kind of look down in your Bible and we'll, and we'll, walk, we'll see it here. Uh, can you put a read? Verse 2. Will he make supplication to you? Uh, verse 4. Will you make him a servant? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? On and on and on. 
And then it says down about verse 9, Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Uh, shall uh, one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare to stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. I will not conceal his limbs. His mighty power is graceful portion. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him? Now all of a sudden it's no longer Job. It's who? It's anybody. It's who, it's everybody. And somehow we've just kind of moved from this questioning of Job to now all of a sudden it's everybody is being uh, asked and everybody is being questioned and, and, uh, and, and this is being applied toward not just Job, but toward all of us. Another thing happens, and that is... You get down to about verse 19 or so, and it says, Out of his mouth go burning lights, sparks of fire shoot out, smoke goes out of his nostril, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. He breathes and he kindles coal, and flame goes out of his mouth. This is like a... Excuse me, this is like a mythological creature, a fire-breathing dragon. Strength dwells in his neck, sorrow dances, the folds of his flesh are joined together, they are firm and cannot be moved, his heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as a lower millstone, he raises himself when the mighty are afraid, because of his crashings, they are beside themselves, though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, do you remember how in behemoth and chapter 40, the Lord says, I've got my sword at my side while I'm dealing with behemoth. Well, here the sword is again brought up, but here the sword is brought up. Though you have a sword, you cannot avail him. He does not regard spear, dart, javelin. He regards iron as straw, bronze as rotten wood. Arrows cannot make him flee. Slingshots, slingstones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the javelin's threats. This creature is, is of an insurmountable dominance. He leaves a shining wake behind him. Verse 32, one would think the deep had white hair. On earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. This Leviathan cat none of us can mess with. So these things just kind of jump out here. Uh, the first thing we want to do is, is just think for a little bit about this Leviathan. This isn't the only time his name appears in the Bible. Uh, he, he actually comes up several other times, and uh, I could give you a complete list. This isn't even the first time his name comes up in the book of uh, Job. Uh, way back in chapter 3 of Job, in, in Job's initial uh, statement, Job is talking about how that he wishes he would just die. 
Job is talking about the fact that there's no purpose of his life and that, and that he doesn't even understand what all these things that have happened to him even mean. And, and he says, I curse the day, verse 8. And then he adds a crazy statement. Ready to rouse up Leviathan. Now that same word, rouse up, is going to be used in this chapter. It's an interesting word. It's used a number of different times throughout the Old Testament. And sometimes it has the idea of, you know, waking up somebody up from their sleep, rouse them up. But it also is used of the demon world. Of, 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 uh, of a seance-like setting where you're trying to... Uh, Get the attention of the underworld and, and find out their view. That's somewhat how Job is using it in chapter 3. He's saying, I, I wish there was some spirit I could ask why this all has happened to me. And, and so this spiritual element tied to Leviathan. Now in uh, Psalm uh, 74, uh, we read about Leviathan there, and uh, it says, you will crush the head of Leviathan. You gave him food uh, for the creatures of the wilderness. And, and you could look up and read all the way through uh, Psalm 74. And Psalm 74 is, is quite a, uh, a, a, a discourse from the psalmist about, about the worlds and, 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 and God's relationship with the world and how God is interacting in the world. And, and it's as though the psalmist is saying everything in the world is under God's control and, and directorship and, and not just... Uh, the things of the world that we think we can control, but the things of the world that are outside of our control. And you see a little bit of that same idea in the New Testament where it'll say, far above all, uh, principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness. And when you look at that phrase in the New Testament where you see this gathering together of forces in the world, you see that there's not only the idea that there's forces in the world that are under our control, but there's forces in the world that are out of our control. And there's some forces that have uh, power and strength related to them that is supernatural. You also see this Leviathan creature in Isaiah chapter 27. In that day, the Lord, with his hard, great, and strong sword, will punish Leviathan. And you, and you ask yourself, what is this doing in the middle of Isaiah chapter 27? And Isaiah is an amazing book. And, uh, and in that section, uh, Isaiah is looking at the problem of the Assyrian armies. Do you remember Hezekiah had these Assyrian armies that surrounded Jerusalem? And they were, they were, they were crowding up, getting ready to overtake Jerusalem. And Hezekiah went in before the, uh, the, uh, the, the temple. And he, and he laid out uh, before God and he made a prayer, God, deliver us from the Assyrians. 
Isaiah's writing about that in uh, chapter 24, chapter 25, chapter 26, chapter 27. And, and he brings Leviathan into the picture as though Leviathan is somewhat of a metaphor for the Assyrian army. They are so crazy, big, and powerful. There's nothing we can do about them. They are just going to overrun us. And the Lord has a great strong sword. He will punish Leviathan. And by the way, the Lord slaughtered the armies of the Assyrians in an overnight conquest by the angel of the Lord. And uh, the general gathered up and went back home and uh, was later slaughtered in his own temple by direct intervention of God. So we see in, in, in Isaiah, at least, Leviathan... Uh, can, can represent uh, 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 evil forces beyond our control. But exactly who Leviathan is, the scriptures don't give us a complete and final answer. So here we are back in Job chapter 41. Can you draw out Leviathan? Can you put a reed in his nose? Can you fill his skin with harpoons? And verse 7, verse 8, lay your hand on him, remember the battle, and never do it again. There's a really troubling set of verses in the middle of this chapter, and it starts in about verse 9, and it goes down through verse 12. And uh, I, I, I read through, uh, I, I didn't count them up, I read through at least seven or eight different translations of these verses. And I came to the realization that uh, there wasn't a lot of agreement on exactly what these four verses mean. I'll read them here. I have a New King James Bible here with me, so I'll read verses 9 through 12 from the New King James. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare to stir him. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his graceful proportions. Now, someone is talking in verses 10, 11, and 12... And I have to admit, I'm somewhat confused as exactly who it is that is talking. Note, again, 
verse 10. No one is so fierce that he would dare to stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his grateful proportions. I'm a little bit confused. Now, there's something that happens prior to this that's worth considering, and that's way back in verses 3 and 4. Back in verses 3 and 4, he says, Will he make supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? How many of you talk to your dog? Or your cat? How many of you talk to the fish in your aquarium? How many talk to your husband? No, I'm kidding. I'm not wanting to compare all those people. We talk to animals. But what would you do if you went and spoke to your dog one day? And you said to him, Gunner, how you doing today? And Gunner said, not too good. The food's rather dry. And your dog talked back to you. Uh, if you tell me that your dog is talking to you, I have some people I want you to talk to. You know, I mean, because uh, our, our pets, we don't expect them to talk to us. There is a story in the Bible of a guy that had a donkey and, and he was trying to uh, go somewhere and the donkey uh, he was riding on came to a, a, a pass between two rock ledges and, and the donkey stuttered at that pass and wouldn't go through. And so the, the owner of the donkey was riding on him, kind of gave him a little bit of a whip, kicked him a little bit with his heels, and, and the donkey uh, went up and backed up again, and finally the donkey laid down. And, uh, and, and the guy got so irritated with the donkey that he thought, I'm going to kill it. And so he just started beating on it with his whip. And the donkey said, why are you beating on me? And the guy was so upset that he didn't think twice about the donkey talking to him. And he says, I'm beating on you because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And the donkey says, I've always done what you wanted me to do. Why would I not do it now? There's, there's something in the way. And the Bible says the guy who was riding the donkey, Balaam, his eyes were opened and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the gap. Now, if your dog starts talking to you and God's not involved... <laughs> something's up. But here, it is suggested that Leviathan can speak. He not only can speak, but he can make agreements with you if he would like to. Now, I, I don't know much, but I would suggest that this is at least pointing us toward the direction that we're not talking about an ordinary animal. We are talking about some extraordinary circumstances that are being pushed forward by God in his addressing Job about this creature called Leviathan. He's not like the other animals. In fact, if we, uh, 
explore this from this perspective. When we get down to verse 9, and we see, Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. If Leviathan is something beyond just an an ordinary animal, and if Leviathan is perhaps some beastly creature that is a, that is a, a replica of the animal a Leviathan, but is actually something much, much more, then, then this begins to make a different kind of sense. Dwayne Garrett looking at this uh, passage where in the ESV it's translated this way, no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has given to me that I should repay him? Who is under the whole heaven is mine. And do you notice the transition from the opening line to the rest? No one is so fierce to dare to stir him up. But now the the third person is abandoned and we go to the second person. Or excuse me, the first person. Who is he who can stand before me? It's almost as though the no one who is fierce to dare to stir him up, the him up starts talking. Who is he who can stand before me? In other words, it's something like the writer or like God is saying something to this effect. This creature, who dares to stir him up? Imagine him saying to you, who then can stand before me? Who has given to me that I should repay him? And Dwayne Garrett gives that kind of a uh, translation to this. I'm just going to admit to you right now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Okay? We're going to look at his translation, and I'm just going to read it verbatim as to how he translates it, and, and, and I'm going to fall upon not my Hebrew skill, but on his credibility as a Hebrew scholar, and how he looks at these words and translates it to help it give a better sense. Verse 9, behold, Leviathan's implied expectation is false. Should one be overthrown at the very sight of him? As though that's a question. Uh, Should we be scared of our wits of this Leviathan? He is not so deadly that someone should magically invoke him. He says, Leviathan, and who is it that would stand before me? Who will approach me that I should give him satisfaction? All under heaven is mine. Now the Lord is speaking again. I will not be silent at his blathering words of boasting. 
at his claim of power and at his high evaluation of himself. In other words, verses 9 and 10 are Leviathan speaking, and then verses 11 and following is God's commentary on Leviathan's opinion of himself. The entire chapter ends with this statement. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. This this Leviathan has a high view. He thinks of himself as the king over all the sons of pride. If we are going to take uh, Garrett's view of this section, and this is where the transition happens between God speaking to Job about what are you going to do, what are you going to do, what are you going to do, and then after verse 12, it becomes what are we going to do, speaking of everybody else, not counting God. And that these uh, verses here... 9 through 12 are the transition between that front half of the chapter and the last half of the chapter. I would like you to focus in on uh, one particular verse. Verse 12. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his grateful portions. If you'll notice in Garrett's translation, he says, I will not be silent at his blathering words of boasting, at his claims to power and his high evaluation of himself. Now, the majority of translators use the word limbs in this verse. Uh, I will say it again from the New King James. I will not conceal his limbs. How many of you have uh, some word like limbs in your translation? Yeah. I do too. I look at it and I'm thinking, what, uh, what is he talking about? On this particular verse, Garrett declares that is a bad translation. And, and then he says something, and I thought to myself, that can't be possible. He said, this word is never translated limbs any other place in the scriptures it's used. I'm like, you got to be wrong. It's, it, the Hebrew word is kind of an interesting word. And, and I'm going to pronounce it. And I'm not very good at pronouncing Hebrew's words. But I can pronounce this one. Blah. Isn't that a great pronunciation? Blah. Here are all the other times 
this word, blah, is used in the Old Testament. It's used in other literature outside of, of uh, the Hebrew Bible. But here's where it's used in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the word blah is used in Job 11 verse 3. Should your babble silence men? Should your blah silence men? By the way, it, doesn't it sound like babble? Blah, 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 blah. Here, we're all going to learn Hebrew together here. Blah, 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 blah. Should your babble silence men? That's the word that's translated limbs in verse 12. Now, I said at the very start, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't understand why they came up with the word limbs. I, I really don't. I, 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 I looked, I spent more time than, than I thought would be necessary to try to understand why they used the word limbs, but they did. It's used in Isaiah 16, verse 6. His idle blahing is not right. His idle boasting, he is not right. It's used also in Jeremiah 48, 30. His boasts, his blasts are false. His deeds are false. As you can see in the Job passage, in the Isaiah passage, in the Jeremiah passage, every other time this word blah is used, it has the idea of babbling or boasting or, or, or something to do with, with, with just wasted words. Why the translators translated it limbs in, in Job 41, I got no clue. I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Jonathan, go back to seminary, study Hebrew, and come back and tell us in five years. By the way, I, did you study any Hebrew? I'm just curious. It, it, wasn't that fun? <laughs> I'm with you. Hebrew is incredibly difficult language. All the idioms that we use in English are somewhat related to Greek. And so Greek makes way more sense to our minds but Hebrew is a totally different set of rules. And so like, it, it's just a whole different animal. Now, let's, let's just kind of assume that Garrett's right. That the word that's translated limbs should be translated boasting or blatting. And let's just assume that God is giving a commentary on the boasting. And you'd have to ask yourself, where is the boasting that God is commentating on? And the most obvious answer would be in the two previous verses that Garrett assigns to Leviathan. The devil, oops, I gave away my clue. Leviathan says, Who is he that can stand before me? Who will approach me that I could give satisfaction? All of heaven is under my control. And God says, 
I will not be silent at his boasting. Now, just for a moment, remember back in chapter 1 and 2 of the book of Job, God is running the throne room of heaven and somebody shows up and starts blathering in front of God. Well, Job just does this because you protect him. Job only does this because you do this. You do this to Job and see what Job will do. Blah, 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 blah. By the way, how much better would Job's of life had been if the devil had never gone up there to heaven and said all that blathering? I will not be silent at his blathering words. Leviathan sees everything high. He is the king over all the sons of pride. If we make the assumption that Leviathan is a real animal that is being used in a metaphorical sense, we have to ask ourselves, does the Bible ever do this with animals? And I would ask you a simple question. Have any of you read the book of Daniel? In the book of Daniel, there's a series of animals that are used to describe coming kingdoms coming rulers who will use their authority and power in destructive and frightening ways. And and crazy creatures are drawn up by Daniel that are combinations of leopards and birds and eagles and, and goats and horns and all kinds of things. Animals that we identify, but they're put together in ways that are, that, are, that are not at all normal. But they're used to communicate characteristics of frightening leaders. A serpent appears in Genesis 3. Ezekiel 28. Ephesians 2. By the way, Butch, I didn't know you were going to go to Ephesians today. And finally, in Revelation chapter 12 and 13, How many have read the book of Revelation recently? Do you ever find the book of Revelation to be kind of almost like a code book? What are these animals that he's talking about? Now, why is it written that way? We're going to real quickly go over this, and then we're going to go to Revelation 12. By the way, we, we are not done today with Job, so don't, don't get nervous. Okay, don't get nervous. But, but in 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 John's book of Revelation, John is on the island of Patmos being guarded by Romans. 
that, that, are, that have him in seclusion away from the church because John is seen as a dangerous person. And so John, the beloved disciple, writes a book out to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor. And somehow this letter gets transported off of Patmos over to these seven churches. And this book has to get by the, the Romans who are guarding him. And they look at it and think, these things are crazy. I don't know what it is. The guy must be insane. And so they pass the letter on. But the code can be understood by the seven churches because they have the book that deciphers it. What do you think is the book that they use to decipher the codes that John uses in Revelation? How about the Old Testament? How about the book of Daniel? How about all of the allusions in the Old Testament that are these metaphors and such that now John compacts them together into the book of Revelation to give the revelation of Jesus Christ who will come with a flaming sword. All of this is to say, when you get into Revelation chapter 12, and you can open to that, that's going to be the only one of these four that we look at today. We might come back to all of them next week. But when you get over to Revelation chapter 12, an amazing thing happens. In chapter 12 and 13 of Revelation, there are two great beasts. How many beasts are there in Job? Two great beasts. In fact, one of the beasts in Revelation chapter 13 is simply called the beast. We could quite literally say in Revelation 13 we have behemoth because that's what one of the beasts named in Job is. And this other beast in chapter 12 Is called the dragon. I'm only going to look at one verse. We might look at more later. But verse 4 of chapter 12 of Revelation, his tail swept down. Do you remember how his tail is described in Job 41? His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman that was about to give birth. And so when she bore the child that he might devour it. The devil wanted nothing more than for Christ to die on a cross. But God outsmarted him. And by Christ 
dying on that cross. Redemptive history was set in motion. You can't fight Leviathan. But God has a plan. You've got no chance against the devil. But God has a plan. You could never even think about girding up a sword. But God has a plan that goes contrary to all human logic. And in Job chapter 41, God says to Job, you've got no chance against Leviathan. But I will not be silent at his blathering words. His claim of power or his high evaluation of himself. Next week we'll see more evidence to that claim from God. Let's pray. Simply put, this is a book that is greater than I am, God. This book that declares your wisdom, I have but a beginning, rudimentary, elementary, simple understanding. But I've concluded this, God, you know what you're talking about. And so I fall upon the wisdom of God. In all things. Help us as we seek to understand this passage even better next week. Help us as we meditate and think about it through the week ahead. But help us more than thinking even about the Bible. Help us to be thinking about you. The God who has a plan that will work. In his name we pray. The name of Jesus. Amen.